Cavalcade Audio Productions presents Star Drifter, the science fiction patio book series written and read by David Collins Rivera. Book Three, Risk Analysis. Chapter 28. It would be well to remember, I stated aloud, that church space was on to this thing long before United Humanity. There was a leak. That would be treason, the Admiral observed, not sounding at all surprised. I shrugged. Some might see it as maintaining peace between the Alliance and church space. If and when Fleet gains access to and implements this technology... Reactionary forces among the papals will certainly see it as a military threat. Tensions will rise, political rhetoric will turn caustic, and conflict will very likely follow. Conjecture, the skinny guy on my side conjectured. Agreed, the bald shadow agreed. Keep going, the admiral ordered. She wasn't my admiral, but I obeyed. With a simple tip-off... The churchers learned they were about to be outpaced. Going public and making a big political stink would have been worthless because corporate could simply deny it. The leap forward this tech represents is so great, few would believe it actually exists without proof. The papals had no choice but theft. They had to steal the research, or at least some of it, so they could start their own development as soon as possible. To this end, they were given help. Why would anyone in either the Alliance or corporate space want the Papals to get their hands on improved star jump technology? This question came from one of the captains on Dusain's side. He sounded intrigued. Because it would keep them from panicking, I answered, yet wouldn't have any serious impact on the military landscape. Even though they'll be diligently working towards parity, church space will still be years late to the soiree. I mean, the technology will spread across the stars sooner or later, so why not keep things on an even keel until it does? And that's your, um, expert opinion? The Admiral queried, watching me closely. No, actually it isn't. What I just described is a possible rationalization by whoever leaked the info. In my opinion, that kind of thinking is in grave error. Why? asked the same captain as before. It overlooks the danger posed by a very particular confluence of engineering. In specific, I refer to Atticsite, that massive cathedral ship the papal authority recently christened, the one made from a huge hollowed-out asteroid. Furrowed brows met me from around the table, so I went on. 
I know you all know about it. It's been on the news vids for months now. It was one of those bloated projects that got out of hand. They say that all on its own, the cost of attic sites construction put church space into economic recession. It can carry a legion of missionaries to bring the word of their various gods to iconoclasts and heathens across the length and breadth of settled space. Except that it's too big and slow to get anywhere in anything like a reasonable amount of time. Fuel costs alone are nearly 5% of the national budget. Admiral Dusain was scrunching her eyes, making the scars around them appear to intersect. She opened her hands with a snap, implying that a very limited store of patience was being drawn upon. Where's the relevance, Mr. DeSantos? Others were looking at me with similar levels of confusion and annoyance. The captain who had asked questions worked with his own blurry display for a second, then swiped the air. Immediately, the flag graphic above the table was replaced by a ghostly sculpture. The cathedral ship hung there in all its detailed and impossibly complicated glory. Roughly diamond-shaped, its entire surface was crafted into shrines, statues, pillars, entablatures, friezes, bas-reliefs, and so much more. Millions of them! Every square centimeter of the vessel's stony outer hull, if that's what it was called, had been shaped by human hands. It was a stunning achievement. The sheer audacity involved was staggering, a true testament to human inspiration and spiritual passion. I stood and pointed. Imagine for a moment if attic site were to be retrofitted with a free jump engine and some weapons of war. A beautifully carved, nearly immobile rock as big as a mountain could suddenly pop up anywhere and blow up anything. It could literally deploy a million troops at a time and then just vanish. And at that size and density, I mean, if the name is accurate, Atticsite's meteoric iron composition is very high, then not even extensive bombardment by Mass Effect weaponry could stop it. This got stunned murmurs from around the room. Several people were now tapping data pads and looking things up on individual displays. Let me get this straight. The Admiral asked seriously. You're implying that a major military threat is already developing because of this incident? Well, on the one hand, there's nothing like a little war to boost a nation's economy. On the other hand, we don't know how much classified data was gathered over time. In addition to expert church space agents, private contractors, that is, mercenaries, were also used in this operation. With the way things played out, that could represent a delay or even a breakdown in the information pipeline. The prisoner in custody seems to have been competent enough, or so you've said. This was from the guy in the shadows. He was starting to annoy me. That secret agent crap was only amusing when a friend was doing it. I'm sorry, I said, ignoring his tone of voice. But I can barely see you over there. Could you adjust your overhead a bit? I smiled in a friendly way. He seemed put out for half a second. The man touched his local controls and slowly became discernible. He had a narrow face and brown skin. His head was shaved. 
an unremarkable guy, really. The Admiral was smiling now, too, though it didn't look especially friendly. Whether that was over me or over Shadow Man, I couldn't tell. My suggestion to chat over a couple of drinks at the pub was turned down with a smirk. Worth a try. Aren't you afraid of being spotted? A little, but John and Stina's program for detecting people following you works out right now. They had to whitelist me since we met on a regular basis here on station. And if you try calling them, even on the sly... I'll know. He opened up his white lab coat, motioning to one of the devices on his belt. It had a little blinking blue light. We're invisible men, Ejok. What do you want? I asked. There's no way for me to get you off the station. That's not it. I was supposed to inquire what he was after, so I didn't. He just stood there looking proper in his lab coat, appearing half-distracted in his perpetual hangover. I knew he wasn't, and his hand never came out of his pocket. You're with Church Space? I queried after a moment. Frankly, I didn't know myself who the client was until Stina found that pattern in the code. It makes sense, though. I assume you haven't gotten what you came for, or you'd have left already. It's not that simple, he replied, looking thoughtful. Getting stranded here was on no one's agenda. I had to improvise. The damage to the ship was false, then? No, it was real. Well, not to star jump, maybe I, I did lie about that. But we were hit in the fight. All fixed now. You're welcome. Mavis took a look and says you've stranded us. It's nothing that can't be put right. A few parts from General Store. I suspect you have the technical know-how yourself to install them. How is the captain, by the way? Awake and angry. You could have killed her. I had to break protocol to get her out of that, so I'm in violation of my UH contract. You have a lot to explain. Not today, and certainly not to you, Ejok. I shook my head, feeling frustration rise up. Why try to kill me? I don't intend to kill... Not now, I interrupted. The shooter in the car. Layden, I presume? and that skinny guy the other day. What would it get you? Those weren't my decisions, he said defensively. When she came at me, I was being shadowed by Brandon Erska. I didn't have another tale, he was sure of it. Yet Layden knew what neighborhood I was in. She must have driven around until she saw me walking. Dieter, you were the only other person I told where I was that night. We had just talked on the comm, remember? He seemed to consider that, then shrugged. You were becoming a problem. A lot of people have said that to me who never resorted to homicide. John and Stina could detect and record coded signals all they wanted, he commented, almost offhandedly, as if it didn't matter anymore, which I guess it didn't. 
Shady Lady was in no position to interfere. You and your ADSEC partner? Well, that was a different story. And you did shut down that part of the operation. Leighton dead? The other ship dead? I was right to be worried. Okay. Then why attack me outside the closet? The damage was already done. You don't seem like the revenge type. His half-lidded, hangover eyes couldn't narrow any further without closing completely, but he took on an expression of embarrassment nonetheless. He glanced at something he wore at his belt. I try not to be petty, but Layden was that man's partner. I think he loved her or something. She'd been sleeping with you. She died because of you. He had a lot of hate in him, Ejok. I nodded in understanding. Look, you're playing for time admirably, he admitted and motioned with his pocket. But I don't have it to waste. Then what's this about? I want you to sign for a package delivery. It will be arriving at the jump point via courier in approximately four hours, and it's addressed to you. You'll get a verification message requiring a reply. I need you to pull your admin security rank to keep it from being searched or scanned. Well, firstly, I doubt I have that kind of influence. Secondly, it'll still take a week to get here on fast transit. And thirdly, I'll have to sign for it again before it can be brought aboard. Can you really keep me under wraps that long? One thing at a time. I raised eyebrows at that. He couldn't keep me prisoner for a week. Even four hours was pushing it. More than four, since radio messages took nearly 20 minutes to get here from the system's edge. He would know that, so he certainly didn't need me after that first signing. Nor could he let me talk about it afterwards. And yet, without the second phase of confirmation his package wouldn't come aboard. Was it then meant for Confederates, still hidden out in orbit somewhere? Would the courier get hijacked as it approached? No. Piracy in a star system that had dozens of military vessels on patrol was a literal impossibility. Liquidator alone could pick off any target along that route, and other ships stood guard near the jump point. Even stealth tech was no guarantee now, since Team was on the lookout for it, and would certainly be watching the proximity of any vessels in motion, even authorized ones. The transport would be safe throughout its entire run accordingly. So the package couldn't be stolen. It would come here, yet I probably wouldn't be around to accept delivery, which meant it only needed to get close. Why destroy the station? I asked quietly. If I shocked him with my sparkling insight, he didn't show it. It's part of a strategy. Surely you see that much. I could shout, I warned him. Right now. I could scream and draw attention to us. You'd kill me, but then this whole thing would get blown open. Team would swoop in and investigate every centimeter of my life, every new element that they don't already know. 
They'd certainly stop delivery on any packages addressed to me, no matter the clearance level. Your parcel would never arrive. Is it a super-shielded nuke? An EMP device? I don't know the details, he confessed. But I do know you. You don't panic under pressure. You'll keep playing this out to the last possible moment, hoping to turn it to your advantage. And you just might, though I'm being more careful than I look right now. My time aboard this place has given a certain polish to my casual vigilance. I chuckled. I like that. If I get out of this, I'm stealing it. <laughs> With my compliments. I admire you, Ejok. I always have. I can offer a way out, if you agree to help me. You know I won't. This is happening, with or without you. Or me. Ruin it now and someone else will just try. He checked one of his gadgets again. As you say, Dieter, one thing at a time. You might as well shoot. I'm not signing for a package. I'm not helping. And I'm not going anywhere with you. I stood there silently, waiting for him. He waited too. His belt beeped then, and he opened his coat to look. A little plastic box blinked green, and then amber. That's time, he told me. You're right. Killing you will only draw attention. Raise your arms. Really? Reach for the sky, stranger? I've been mugged here already, Dieter. I shook my head in exasperation, but he looked annoyed suddenly. Don't move. Don't speak. Raise your arms over your head. Do it now. So I did. After a moment, he told me to lower them again and turn away from him. I did that too. Okay, he pronounced after a few seconds. Start walking away. Slowly. Don't make a run for it. Don't make a fuss. Clear? I get to live another day? As remarkable as it seems. Move, Ejok. I didn't look back until I was about 20 meters from that patch of relative shadow. But of course, he was already gone. He's trying to confuse us, Chris offered, sounding confident. We were in the large room in back of the pub. I had gotten an account for AdSec expenses and decided to put this get-together on it, labeling it an interdepartmental strategy meeting. If accounting had a problem with it, they could blow it out the airlock. He's hiding something, John agreed, drinking his barley wine. I had recommended it, and he was grateful. Stina said nothing. She was on her second plate of scobble, and didn't seem like she was even listening. Her hair was as wild as ever, but it looked clean now. She was wearing a short, navy blue party dress and bright red stockings, along with makeup and strobing glow paint on her lips. I assumed at first she'd bought it all on the way to the pub, 
but when I complimented her on it, more out of politeness, it was a weird look, she explained that she'd brought it all with her from Ainspace. That made exactly zero sense, which was perfectly normal. Is there anything else he might have been after? Barney expressed, looking frustrated. Possibly nothing more than exactly this, I replied, before downing a shot of Grano. Sitting around, scratching our heads instead of looking for him. Despite my coolness during the encounter with Dieter, I was having an attack of nerves now, a delayed reaction that I knew to be normal from previous close calls. My stomach was in a knot, so the booze wasn't really a great idea. To be frank, the sight and smell of the scobble was making me nauseous too. I mentioned this aloud, but Stina didn't hear me. Or maybe she did, or... I don't know. Mavis had stayed on board, partly for the same reasons she never left the ship before, partly because she didn't really feel up to it just yet, and partly because she half-expected Dieter to try and sneak aboard again. She was coldly furious with the man, but I didn't think we had to worry about her killing him should he have an attack of even worse judgment than appearing before me. John and Stina had readjusted their search params to look for the engineer, and were quite surprised not to see him anywhere. I wasn't. What was the thing on his belt all about? Barney wondered. A comm device, maybe? Chris posed. I don't think he has anyone left to call, I replied. He took a huge chance stopping me like that. If there was someone else who could have done it for him, I doubt he'd have broken cover. And just to have you sign for a package? Chris wondered. That's ridiculous. He was right. It was a nonsensical action from a man who, hitherto, had displayed nothing but complete sense and precision. Whatever that's about, John put in thoughtfully, now quite far from the wild-eyed spoon-wielder of before. For Diener, it's a matter of relative risk. Together, we have some resources at our disposal, but they're still limited compared to what Team could throw at the problem, and he knows we can't go to them yet. We need to be in a position where his capture won't hurt us. That means stepping out of the shadows. How? Chris asked. And one of Barney's people, the woman who had been present at my clandestine interview-slash-interrogation, echoed the question. She looked to be in her mid-forties and had a hard set to her eyes which I found unsettling, like she just happened to be between deeds of commitment at the moment. She might have been a saint, but sure didn't look it. The extra man who had come aboard Shady Lady was present here as well, and the two of them flanked my roommate at the table. Here's a thought, I put in. What if I make some noise about having been contacted by UH? I could say that they informed me they sent people clandestinely to this place, legally, and that, because of circumstances, they're stranded. Theme would still arrest us, Chris observed. I know we have our doubts about UH, but if I also sent them a message and CC'd it to team, then everyone involved will have to treat it legitimately. Corporate will be angry if I reach out to UH without consulting anyone, but it'll be a fait accompli by that point. 
We'll have a record in the Alliance concerning corporate space officials knowing about Shady Lady, and we'll have a record in corporate space about United Humanity knowing we've broken cover. We have copies of all the agreements we signed aboard the ship, so they'll have to corroborate that they sent us here. Team will then be accountable for Shady Lady's safety. The situation goes from being a security problem to a political one. By treaty, Mavis doesn't have to give out any specific details regarding the mission, and the level of enthusiasm Team might normally want to use in questioning her, or any of us, would be curtailed. UH will accuse you of breaking your NDA if you let Team in on the fun, Christmas observed. Then they'll come for the rest of us. Ah, but the ship is almost out of air, I replied. It's now a life and death situation, which the Alliance Catalog of Human Rights considers an exception to all contracts and many laws. It's what allows civilian gunners to exist as a profession at all. Trust me, I have to sit through legal classes on this every time I renew my license. The others thought for a bit while I signaled the barman for another shot. I had to wave like an idiot to get his attention from the back room, but he laughed and came over with the bottle. We all waited for him to leave. As for our kindly and lingering station security detectives, I went on, turning to Barney and his crew, you'll be ADSEC assets now, legal and above board, just like we planned. In fact, we could get that much done tonight, sign you folks up and turn your Mr. De Beers over to team. How's his patterning going, anyway? Looks good, I'm told, Barney replied. We should have it working by tomorrow. Once it is, we don't need the guy anymore. I'd be happy if he was someone else's problem. Has anyone heard if a missing person report ever went out about a Mark De Beers? Somebody must have noticed the guy's been scarce lately. Yeah, he was reported missing by his co-workers two days ago, John answered. Standard search techniques haven't turned anything up, so team is labeling it as an open case and scaling back their efforts. Unofficially, they seem to think he committed suicide and took a cold walk, even though pedestrian control has no record of any unauthorized airlock openings. I can put one in if you'd like. No, I said. Once we turn them over, their mystery is solved. No sense muddying the waters. The ex-Stasec detective seemed intrigued about the prospect of becoming legal investigators again, and Barney made everyone laugh when he offered to sign up right there and then at the table so he wouldn't have to report to maintenance. A big sanitation recycler was jammed up, and he was going to have to don a moon suit and clear it all out by hand. I proposed drafting some documents that would outline the duties of this iteration of the station's detective force so that they'd be in keeping with the old ones, at least for the most part. The biggest issue voiced to me, though, was becoming assets of corporate admin. Employees of that branch were all technically members of management. That disallowed joining a trade union, which could have put some of the power back on our side. As it was, admin could fire us or dissolve our unit at any time. It's not a perfect situation, I acknowledged, but it's better than skulking in the shadows. Barney said that they'd talk about it among themselves and let me know. 
I hoped it would be a positive outcome, because, frankly, I needed the boost. If Melbrot and his goons saw me building a real department and forging political contacts outside of the Montero corporate structure, I'd have a better standing here. With Shady Lady in the open, we could put team onto Dieter. This was a thing I fervently believed had to happen, because he was up to something. He always had been, and it worried me. We'd interrupted him when we came aboard the ship like that, but the fact that he'd contacted me in such a bizarre fashion implied that he was doing something else. Or maybe the same thing, but without his little engineering fiefdom available, he was forced to continue whatever it was outside the ship. Dieter is up to something, I stated, probably for the 18th time. God, I hate when you do that, Chris mumbled. He's made himself hard to find, Barney said. But we're still looking. No, I mean he's up to something right now. This very moment. Whatever it is, it required him to stop me on the street and... I don't know what, spin a pack of lies? Why try something so transparent and risk being seen or caught? Unless it was never about the story. Okay, Barney prompted. Then play it out. Forget his words. What else happened? What did he do exactly? I had to think about that for a bit, and the others waited expectantly. He surprised me. He kept me standing there, out of immediate sight of traffic. He, uh... He looked at a device on his belt, John offered. Yes, and he made me raise and then lower my hands. Then he had me walk away slowly. I considered it. I concentrated. So did the others. After a full minute, I sighed in frustration. It made no sense at all. I don't profile, Stina muttered. She had finished her scobble and had been watching us. Actually, she was looking at Barney. Can I play smackball? Um, sure, he replied. What's this about Ident? You mean a fake ID? Impossible, John injected dismissively. The data can be stolen and even edited, but you can't make a usable Ident profile from scratch without a licensed full-body scanner. I have, she replied simply. I never played Smackball before. We'll teach you, I assured. How do you make a fake ident without a licensed scanner? With a medical triage profiler, but any bioscanner can do it. You run multiple passes front and back. I need a basket. I'll buy you one, I promised. How long does it take to make scans like that? A couple minutes. Then you have to lace them into a single profile and lock it up with ident corporation encryption. Can I get a yellow one? I want a yellow one. Anything you want. Barney assured. And who besides the Ident Corporation and their licensed dealers has patented Ident encryption available? John put in scornfully. We do. It's been cracked for years. The company still hasn't patched it. We have it on the ship. I put it in the database before we started. One of the stores has baskets in its inventory, but not yellow ones. I want a yellow one. You'll get a yellow one if I have to paint it myself, I promised getting up to leave, 
my second Grano shot still on the table, undisturbed. I touched my comm ring and placed a call. Barney and his people were on their feet, too, looking worried. Everyone looked worried. Well, not Stina. Floyd, are you an R&D? Yes, in my office. Why? Check with the guards on duty, I said to her, walking out the pub door. See if I've accessed anything restricted recently. See if you've... what? But I was running now to catch a tick-tick just pulling up to the curb and didn't have the breath to reply. The cab seemed to crawl, though really it didn't. At one point, I jumped out and cut over a walkway, since the tick-tick would have had to go down the next cross street. Team guards were waiting at the entrance to R&D, but I was out of breath again. All that smackball hadn't done much to get me into shape. Is there some concern that your ident profile has been compromised, sir? A young woman with the rank of CPSO3 stenciled on her shoulders asked, sounding confused. Because that's not really possible? I have reason to think otherwise, I supplied, pushing past them unsteadily, but waving her to follow. She did, along with a few others. Jake was still at work in his office, but had boxes of stuff piled around. He was having to move at last, it seemed. He cursed loudly when I stalked by, but had grown beyond the chasing-me-across-the-department stage. Floy and Gaza were talking together inside, out in the bay, and came over as soon as I appeared. Is there trouble? My... what was she? Girlfriend? Okay, my girlfriend asked. An enemy agent aboard the station... Oh, man, one sec. Has very possibly made a fake ident profile using my biometrics. I'm sorry, the three interrupted. But are you really sure of your facts, sir? The ident system is universally considered impregnable. You don't know the people I know, three. Check what I've accessed in, say, the last 90 minutes. I, um... I don't have the clearance myself to do that, sir. It would take another officer to look into the movement patterns of a seven. I'm not a seven, I informed her irritably. Yes, you are, sir. CPM07 Ejoc DeSantos, ADSEC. Unrestricted clearance in R&D and elsewhere on station, see? She held up a data pad and there I was. A regular big shot. And my dear friend Byron Mailbrot hadn't bothered to even shoot me a memo. What a guy! Congratulations, Gaza offered, but it came out hesitantly, because she saw my face. Oh my god, I mumbled, with rising unease. Tell me what I've accessed tonight. I'm not allowed to look, sir. Let me call... Give me that, Floyine snapped and took the handheld ident device out of the three's hand. Unfamiliar with the software, she then had to ask for her help while flicking through screens. The three didn't mind doing that much, with protocol being adhered to. In moments, Floy had my access history in her palm. Her face was drawn and very serious. R&D access confirmed, 45 minutes ago. 
a storeroom in the extended reaches. Which one? I asked, sick to my stomach again, knowing the answer, dreading it. Um, 75J. Isn't that... I put to Gaza, who suddenly looked ashen, her dark features showing fear and shock. She just nodded. I thought team took everything away, I pressed, hoping for luck. They didn't do any disassembly for historical reasons. They're waiting on a specialized transport to take it away intact. What are you two talking about? Floyd demanded, sounding nebulously scared under the gravity of our concern. I turned, and the look on my face must have cemented her fears because her eyes grew wide. Cageless. The first free jump prototype? It's in storeroom 75J. You have been listening to Risk Analysis, a science fiction novel written and read by David Collins Rivera. You can contact me at lostinbronx at gmail.com. That's L-O-S-T-N-B-R-O-N-X at gmail. You can also check out my site at cavalcadeaudio.com and sign up for my newsletter, where you'll find exclusive content and early releases. This story is copyright 2016 by the author and is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 4.0 international license. Feel free to use it for any purpose, even commercial, and I encourage you to do so. The Star Drifter theme is a piece called i by Trunks and can be found on SoundCloud.com. The theme for Risk Analysis is called The Inventor by Zach Beaver and is available on SoundCloud.com. Risk analysis is a work of fiction and is not based upon nor meant to portray any person, living or dead, nor any particular place or situation. Thank you for listening. Take care.